everybody. Um, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then we're going to jump in. Lord, I thank you that your word is effective and powerful, and that without your word, we have, we have nothing, especially your word made flesh, Jesus. I pray this morning um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, and that you would put Jesus on full display. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so for those of you who may not know me, um, my name is Jared Grice. I'm usually on that side of the stage uh, doing music, and so I'm really privileged to be here to be able to uh, share with you from God's Word this morning. The primary passage that we're going to be looking at, if you want to open your Bibles to it, is the Romans 6 passage, uh, starting in verse 15. But before we do uh, jump into the text, I want to ask a simple question. What does it mean to be free? I want you to think about that question and think about how you would answer that if you were to answer it in simplest terms. What does it mean to be free? Do we have any fans of Chef's Table in here? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, not because I can cook even remotely similar to, to what they do, but I, I love Chef's Table because on that Netflix series, what they do is they don't just show you the amazing meals that these chefs cook and they don't just show you... Um, how they use their creativity to make something that the world has never seen before or talk about their success, but they show you their story. They give you a, a, a glimpse into their life. And there's one episode on the first season uh, that talks about the chef, Francis Mallman. Um, and if, you, if you've seen it, you'll know who I'm referring to. But Francis Mallman was very interesting. Um, he was a, a French chef who was trained in the French style of cooking and submitted to the rigors of how he was supposed to, uh, to cook. He submitted to the intensity of French culinary training. And, and in many ways, as he's telling his story, he talks about how he always felt restrained. He felt like he was having to hold back and he wasn't able to, to burst forth with his creativity and cook the way that he wanted to, but he felt like he was, he was constrained by what he had to submit to in his training. And so eventually, Francis Mallman decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to drop everything, and I'm going to move to South America, to Patagonia, and I am going to learn how to do this in my own way. And so he lived in a small shack in Patagonia by the waterfront. He caught fish. He hunted. And all of his cooking and all of his culinary experimentation and creativity came from the land where he was. And as they were interviewing him in this episode, you know, I'm watching this and I'm inspired because I've always kind of wanted to like live in a van and travel the world. Um, so I'm inspired and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This guy is, he, he's truly free. He's living the way that all of us want to be able to live, to be free. But they're interviewing him and they say, when, what was it? What was the, the turning point for you that made you decide to pursue this lifestyle? And he said, well, I felt like I was enslaved to the rigors of everything that I was being asked to do by the responsibility of my career, by the expectations of my customers, by what I had to be as a husband and as a father. And I felt like I couldn't take it anymore. I wanted freedom more. And so my wife and I split up. I decided to let her raise my, at the time, three-year-old daughter and I left all of that behind so that I could pursue freedom. And now as I look back on it, I realize that I am truly free. 
I think in a lot of ways, this story of this man's life illustrates the way we think of freedom. We typically think that freedom is the things that we are free from. We're not, we don't have to do this. We're not responsible to do this. We're free from these things. But we often forget that freedom is also what we are moving toward. Freedom represents, for many of us, something that we're getting away from, not something that we're submitting to. This last week, um, uh, my full-time job is I'm a high school principal at a private school in Denton, and we took a group of our seniors to Washington, D.C. for their senior trip. And I think that it's no accident that the, the week leading up to when I'm preaching about freedom in Christ, I'm in Washington, D.C., the, <laughs> the center of, for many of us, uh, the place of freedom. And I'm surrounded quite literally by these massive monuments that were built to freedom. In the middle of this, this ethos of American culture, we're looking at people who risked their lives and fought for freedom, and they, they fought uh, for the freedom from tyranny and the freedom from oppression and this freedom so that they can live their lives the way that they want to. And I'll tell you, it was inspiring. I mean, when you're looking at the, the, the Lincoln Memorial and you're doing this the whole time because it's so massive, it, it makes you feel small. But I couldn't help but feel like the whole time we were there, something was missing. In our American ideology and in our social atmosphere, there is a strong sense of, like I said, what we're freed from but we usually stop there. The freedom that we crave, if we're honest with ourselves, is the freedom to be authors of our own story, to be released from these shackles of responsibility and from anyone telling us how to live our life, whether it's, the, you know, whether it's England or whether it's our boss or whether it's the responsibilities that we face. In a lot of ways, the freedom that we crave is the freedom to be God. And as Christians, we live as a culture within a culture. I think specifically Christians in the South, we add more and more layers to that. But what Christ has called us to be is a culture that demonstrates a different kind of freedom by the way that we live. But oftentimes we fall prey to the same habit. We desire freedom from our sin or we desire freedom from the things that we feel like are holding us back from truly worshiping God but we forget that our freedom is meant to lead us toward a new affection, not simply away from old habits. So this morning, we're gonna talk about what it means to truly be free. In our world, I think a lot of times, freedom, if we were to, to look at the way it, it shows itself most clearly, freedom is an obedience to our momentary desires. In an effort to remove ourselves from the constraints of discipline, or to remove ourselves from this difficulty of saying no to the things that we really want, we often just say yes and call it freedom. To die to self in today's culture is viewed as ignorant, as foolish, as weak. Um, one of my favorite novels is Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. And there's a quote in this novel from the, the main character who in many ways is trying to run from God and trying to run toward freedom. And here's what he says. He says, where you come from is gone. Where you thought you were going to was never there. And where you are is no good unless you can get away from it. Where is there a place for you to be? There's no place. Nothing outside you can give you any place. In yourself, in this moment, 
is all the place you've got. That's pretty sobering, right? Because I think that that encapsulates where a lot of us feel and where a lot of us are when we think of what it means to be free. But today, when we look at Romans 6, we're going to see that this cultural idea of freedom falls enormously short. We begin to see through the smoke and mirrors that freedom is actually another form of slavery. Once the veil is lifted from our eyes, we can see, as the church father Origen saw, that all of us ourselves, by our own will, are submitting either to sin or to justice, or to put it in today's text, either to sin or to righteousness. Despite our cultural allergy to slavery, Scripture clearly demonstrates that when we are freed from sin, we're not merely freed to do whatever we want to do as if we're some 16-year-old who got their driver's license and then goes 150 on the highway. We're not freed to do whatever we please because that's not freedom at all. In this season of Lent, we have to understand that freedom cannot just be running from something, but it has to be submitting to a new way of life. And so, as you take out your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Starting in verse 15, it says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present yourselves, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, this may sound counterintuitive, but my first point this morning is this. Spiritual slavery isn't the problem. Our problem is not that we are enslaved to something. That's not our primary issue. So often we think of, we think of freedom, as we've said, as as removing ourselves from something or throwing off those chains. Think of Chris Tomlin's uh, resetting of Amazing Grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. And that's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful, a beautiful way of looking at it. But we often think of the Christian life as a move from slavery to freedom. But in reality, what Romans 6 says is that the Christian life is a move from slavery to slavery. Let me explain what I mean. In our DNA, we are designed to worship someone or something. Every one of us are designed with a longing to submit to something that is greater than ourselves. The, the Hebrew word abad for worship, if we were to look at the, the connotation of that word and, and what that word is translated a little deeper, it's actually the same word for service. The word for worship in Hebrew is the same word for service. All of us are always worshiping something. So the question is, what is it that keeps us from moving from this slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness? 
And I think for all of us, the answers will vary. And, and for many of us, if we ask that question, we'll have lots of excuses. It's, you know, the difficulty of my job. It's the responsibilities I have as a mother or father. It's how difficult school is. But in a nutshell, as we said earlier, it's the desire to be our own God. Because submission to Jesus, slavery to Jesus, requires the death of our ego. It requires the death of our dreams, of our salaries, of our control, of our comfort, of these things that we hold on to so tightly. And it requires recognizing that we are bad at being God. We're bad at his job. We need his rule and we need his reign in our life. Now, I wanna share a story with you. Um, I, I gave a picture to the, to the team to put on the screen here. Um, my dad sent me these pictures um, a long time ago. That's my dad um, and that's me as a six-year-old in a go-kart. Um, on Christmas, I woke up and I saw this brand new helmet under the Christmas tree that I'm wearing. It's hard to see, but it had a note in it that said, go in the backyard. My parents love the theatrics of Christmas. So I go in the backyard and I see, in hindsight, this very unsafe looking go-kart. <laughs> and I am pumped. I'm so excited. Finally, I got this go-kart. So the first thing I do, I sit in the go-kart. I'm, you know, I have my helmet on, I'm strapped in, I'm ready to go. And the look on my face is this look of determination, right? If you've ever seen Talladega Nights, you know, the, the kid that when Ricky Bobby's like, I just want to go fast. That was me in that moment. I said, I just want to go fast. And my dad is sitting there trying with all of his might to explain to me, here's how the gas works. Here's how the, bra the brake works. You don't want to go too fast, too quick. You want to control yourself. You know, like he's trying to give me direction. And I'm like, shut up, dad. I know what I'm doing, you know? <laughs> and so I get in that go-kart and I kid you not, I remember as he is explaining it to me, I slam on the gas all the way to the floor. And that was the first and last day that I had a go-kart because I ran it into the fence and broke it. Um, and my parents never let me forget that. Um, but in that, I tell, you, <laughs> I tell you that story, I do still have a lead foot, by the way. Um, I tell you that story because in that moment, what I wanted was to be in charge. For me, even as a six-year-old, that was freedom. I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted in this, in this little go-kart. But that really wasn't freedom, was it? What my dad was trying to do was to give me rules and direction and love that would enable me to freely drive that go-kart without harming myself, but I didn't listen. I wanted to be the God, the author of my own story. If you think back to the beginning of Lent when Father David was talking about um, our, our mindset going into Lent, one of the things that he said is he said, you know, it, we can't just fight against spiritual slavery by trying harder. We don't just become more disciplined or more rigorous and shake off these habits on our own. But fighting spiritual slavery, it, it's not just being fed up with your sin. It's actually falling in love with something greater. Um, the author of A Little Prince, um, I'm bad at French, so don't judge my pronunciation, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, he said, love this quote, if you want to build a ship, you don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and bark orders at them. Instead, you teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. If we want submission to Jesus to be more attractive than submission to our flesh, 
it's not gonna be by trying harder. It's not going to be by creating boundaries or, or building discipline that removes the opportunity to sin. Those things are important, but it's going to be getting caught up in the beauty of Jesus. If we want to move from slavery of sin to slavery to Christ, it will happen when we move from guilt and duty to love and awe. So, the first point, spiritual slavery is not the problem. The movement of scripture is from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. But the second point here is that the master matters. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. You're always going to serve one. And so if you look at at Romans 6, starting at verse 20, it says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the new master, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. As we've established, spiritual slavery is not the problem, but the master that we choose to submit to is going to make all the difference. So travel with me, if you will, back to uh, the story of the Exodus. What's really amazing about Romans chapter six, and and really as many scholars would argue Romans four all the way through um, eight and nine, is that it's a retelling of the Exodus story. The Exodus story was the, the, the story that the Israelite people understood salvation through. It was the lens through which they understood salvation. And so as we talk about what it means to be sanctified and saved as followers of Christ, there is a powerful parallel here in Romans 6 for the Exodus narrative. If you think about it, the Israelite people, they had Joseph, right, who was in charge in Egypt and and who had some sway and there was a season of prosperity for the Israelite people. But fast forward 400 years, they forgot who Joseph was and Pharaoh enslaved the Israelite people. So the Israelite people were slaves. They were in slavery that led to this, this futile, like bearing no fruit sort of life, as Romans 6 says, a lawlessness that leads to lawlessness. But then God sends Moses to rescue the people. The people are rescued. They pass through the Red Sea, which there's a really cool parallel earlier in Romans of talking about baptism here. They pass through the Red Sea of baptism. They come out on the other side, and then God says, hey, here's the land. Go run free. Do whatever you want. No. What does God do? He gives them the law. So they move from slavery to a bad, evil master by the waters of baptism into slavery to Yahweh, right? But the difference is the kind of master that Yahweh, God, is compared to Pharaoh. God isn't like the master that works you to the bone to prove your worth. God doesn't lead you into the wilderness and abandon you. God doesn't need you to show him how faithful or effective or obedient you are in order to receive his love. God isn't impatient. He doesn't roll his eyes at you when you cry out to him. How does Jesus respond in the gospel reading this morning when the people are mourning? He weeps. God doesn't change his mind like Pharaoh whenever whenever it's convenient for him. 
God sees us when we are in our sin and he pursues us relentlessly with grace and with love. He provides the needs that we have as we are doubting him, not when we show him how faithful we are. He reminds us that we are his children when we are forgetting. And he lifts our heads when all we see is our own sin and our own shame. You see, this master is unlike any other master. He is worthy of our submission. And during this time of Lent, what's really cool is that we are in many ways rehearsing the story of Jesus in the wilderness. But did you know that Jesus is also rehearsing a story? He is rehearsing the story of the Israelites in the wilderness, but he's rehearsing it in a very different way. When Israel complained about not having enough food, even though God was providing for them, Jesus lives on scripture as his food. When Israel clamors for graves back in Egypt because God just brought them out there to die, Jesus trusts his father all the way to the grave. When Israel builds monuments to themselves and monuments to false gods, Jesus says no to the enemy who is offering him the same thing. You see, in the wilderness, Jesus submits perfectly to his master. He became a faithful slave of righteousness so that you and I, so that our slavery to sin might be reversed and might be undone. Because in the story of Jesus in the wilderness, we're not Jesus, we're Israel. We are the people who grumble and complain in the midst of God's provision. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus gives us his obedience. And so in these final verses, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, when we are submitting to this slavery of death and the slavery of sin, it gives, us, it gives us a salary of death, doesn't it? A salary that recurs over and over. We keep thinking that if we, if we just do it differently, then things are gonna change. But the more we submit to our sin, the more we are given spiritual and physical death. But eternal life in Christ, which begins now, it's not just heaven in the future, but it begins now. We're being changed into his image day by day. And that eternal life is a gift. In our lives, I just want to acknowledge this. Submitting to slavery to righteousness is hard. It's really hard. Um, in in that, the book I referenced, Wise Blood, there's a quote where at the end, the landlady is speaking to the main character. And she says, it's far easier to bleed than it is to sweat. And that really struck me because I think in many ways in our life, it's easy to make these temporary sacrifices. It's easy for 40 days to give up chocolate, right? Or to give up caffeine. But it's a lot harder to submit to the day after day for our entire lives sweating of obedience to Christ. It's, it's not without pain. But the promise of God to renew us to change us day by day, it's not a salary that's subject to being revoked, right? God's promises doesn't, it, it, they don't depend on our work. And Jesus shows us that submitting to God is painful. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus didn't just sweat, but he also bled at the same time. So Jesus gets the pain, but it doesn't stop there. 
He doesn't pursue the agony of wilderness and the agony of the cross in vain. It's not a, it's not a lawlessness that leads to lawlessness, right? But it's a fruit. He doesn't strive and bleed and sweat and ask us to do the same just so that we might be disappointed. But I wanna, I wanna just give you permission to be honest. Many of you have been fighting longer than I've been alive. And many of you have been struggling with things longer than I can imagine. And you've been fighting and you've been obeying Christ and you've been faithful and you've, and you've been sweating. And many of us are like the Israelites in the wilderness where we're just sick of it. We're, we're tired of waiting. We're ready for Jesus to come back. We're ready to see the fruit. And oftentimes we doubt if it's even really there. But what Lent points us toward is that becoming slaves of God is worth it. The culmination of this journey that we are on in the season of Lent is not disappointment. We don't just remind ourselves of our frailty and our need and our struggle and then the story ends. No, but in a couple of weeks, we are going to be celebrating the culmination of all of God's promises, the victory, the resurrection, the new life, the the being given new taste buds to be able to taste the sweetness of God. But we're not there yet. In our lives, in our history, we're not there yet. In this particular season, in 2023, during Lent, we're not quite there yet. We're waiting, but we will arrive. And Jesus will return, and we will experience the Easter that mankind for thousands of years has been waiting for. But what I want to encourage you to do this morning is not to fast forward two weeks from now and not, and not to pretend that you, you are excited when really you're struggling. What I want to invite you to do is to submit to the waiting. To be slaves of righteousness requires patience. And so what I want to do, I, I had asked about putting it on the screen. I'm actually not going to do that because my translation I want to read is a little different. Um, But the way I want to close this morning is by rereading Psalm 130. Because Psalm 130 gives us language to submit. It gives us language to submit to this righteousness. And it gives us honest language, but it gives us hopeful, honest language. And here's what it says. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, O church of resurrection, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem you from all your iniquities. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.